Thanks. It's them and not you guys this week, huh? Oh, man. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. A uh, couple things I want to make mention of. Good morning. Welcome. I love having people down front. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about, you know, I don't know, when we have more people and people are willing to set in the splash zone, you know. It's funny to me because, like, you know, we buy tickets to something we want down front, you know. I mean, one of my greatest memories of my entire life was the night, the last time that I went and saw Metallica play, right? And it was with several, several guys from here, and, and we agreed. Like, we, you know, we had general admission tickets, you know. I was like, you know, I was like, hey, you guys need to skip work, and we need to go early. We need to get there when the doors open, right? And so we did. And then we got to spend, you know, the rest of the evening watching all these ladies that had probably had a little too much to drink hit on John Taylor. So it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know which was more entertaining, the band or, or, or that whole fiasco. So I don't, it's a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, but no, we're, we're glad. I mean, it's for real, though, we, we've had uh, this summer, we've had, uh, we've had record numbers of people for a summer. Uh, in just, I mean, in the last few weeks, we've, we've hit 500 people and, and right at it one week and then we hit it another week. I mean, and that, and for July, I mean, you guys are supposed to be, you know, at the beach and stuff. So, uh, but no, it's, it's awesome. And it's, uh, and, and I know we've got a lot of, a lot of newer folks that are hanging out with us and we're glad that you're here. Thank you for being here and, uh, you know, let us know how we can help you get plugged in and, and feel more included on what's going on around here. We, you know, don't don't be afraid to talk to us, okay? Don't don't, don't you don't have to run out as soon as it's over with. We'd love to love to hang out with you. So, uh, yeah. But uh, a couple things we'll make mention of going on. Uh, we've got uh, the golf scramble uh, coming up, uh, and uh, if you haven't signed up, but you play golf, like to play golf, like to pretend to play golf, uh, any of those things, we'd love to have you. Uh, I will be there, I suppose, doing what I did last year, which is launching uh, golf balls with an AR-15, which is pretty awesome. You can pay a little extra money to do that if you want to do that. Uh, but all the money being raised for this uh, is going toward uh, helping our uh, kids and student room, uh, that's the, the big room next to this room, uh, uh, trying to make it better, buying some equipment, buying some sound treatment, uh, you know, some lighting, all that kind of stuff where our students can uh, move to move, move fuel into there on Wednesday nights and that our kids, even our kids' church and whatnot, would have uh, a much better space there. Uh, and so uh, it's just, you know, we've got a lot of things like that we've just had on the back burner for years. Uh, and we just feel like it's time, it's time to step that up, time to do something about that. So uh, anyway, we, you know, it's for the kids. So, you know, come bring your money and uh, we also got businesses that are, uh, you know, sponsoring holes and all that kind of stuff. If you want to be a part, and even in one of those ways, just go talk to them at the front desk, and uh, they'll get you straightened out. Um, we also have a new grief share starting up. I know Ben will mention a bunch of this stuff later. So, but uh, you know, I know some of you like to like slip out, you know, at the very end or something and miss all that. So don't, you know, I don't want you to be completely clueless. But um, yeah, uh, if you've had if you've had some loss. Uh, in life, and you and you just know in your heart you need to probably work through some of that. And you need some help doing that. That's what that's for. And and man, what a what an impactful thing! Uh, I have already heard from so many people that went through it earlier this year. 
so, you know, look into that, check that out. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that uh, if you uh, feel led to do so. So, uh, cool stuff. Well, let's, let's jump into Peter. Uh, we've, uh, if you've got your Bible and you want to get it out, we're going to the book of John today. The book of John, chapter 21. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles. They'll be glad to bring you one. Just throw your hand up. Let them know you need it. You can keep it if you don't own one. We'd love for you to have it. Um, but John 21 is where we're going today. And, um, you know, I think, you know, we talked about, we talked about Peter because we've been talking about Peter for the last many weeks, about through the whole summer, really. And um, the, uh, the thing about Peter, and we, and we talked about last week, uh, him denying Christ three times. And, and you guys, uh, I'm sure, tracking with that or maybe watched it online or whatever. Uh, but if you're not familiar, you know, Jesus predicts at, one point that uh, Peter is going to deny him before Jesus is even crucified, and this is this is right here toward the end of of this mo- this moment with Peter, where he is like he's gung ho, like Jesus, I'm your guy. You know, he's you know cutting ears off of people and you know all kinds of stuff, trying to you know prove to Jesus his love and his you know commitment to him and uh, you know loyalty and all these things, and so. And Jesus, Jesus, at some point, you know, just kind of turns uh, to Peter and says, you know, Peter, here's the truth. The truth is, is you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, man, no way, you know. And so, I mean, that's been kind of his attitude. I'm here with you. I'm, I'm rolling with you, all that kind of stuff. And then he does deny Jesus three times. And then we're kind of, I'm trying to give you a synopsis here since we're picking up here a little later on in the in the scriptures. Uh, but then, uh, you know, Jesus is, uh, well, this is while Jesus was being arrested that he denies Jesus, but then Jesus is beaten and then Jesus is killed. Okay. And then there comes a point where Jesus comes back, he rises from the grave, which was prophesied that that would happen at three days later, that he would come back to life. And he does that, right? And so we have Jesus alive. Peter happens to get to be one of the first people to see Jesus after he's risen from the grave. Uh, we talk about this at Easter. I've made a bigger deal out of, you know, all that and Peter specifically this past Easter. But, uh, you know, we see Peter get to be one of the first disciples, one of the first couple disciples to see the risen Jesus, you know, to realize that this was happening and all these things. Uh, and then we're picking up here later on after Jesus has revealed himself to uh, several people, but uh, included in that are many of the, you know, all of the disciples. Uh, well, mine's Judas at this point. And so, you know, what we have here is we have this moment that we're picking up today where Jesus is now revealing himself for the third time to the disciples, okay? And so in this moment, it's a little, there's a little more one-on-one going on. There's a little more like this is calculated going on, although on the surface, if you're just reading the passage, you may not realize, you know, the calculations that are going on on Jesus's side of things. Uh, but we want to talk about that today. Let's, let's talk about that today. Um, and so, you know, we, we've, we've got this, this moment where Peter, if, just imagine being Peter, okay, at this moment, and you've denied your friend, you know, you've lied about knowing him basically to the general public at this point three times. And now Jesus is back from the dead. 
and you're still with Jesus, and you know that Jesus knows because Jesus told you you were going to, and you're like, no, no way, and then, he, and then you do, you know, I mean, how does that make you feel if you're Peter? It makes you feel like a failure, you know, and I, and I, think, I think about failure in our lives. I think about all the things that I've failed at over time, you know, and we, we all have these things if we look back. Now, a lot of us don't like to think about these things, you know, but I think the truth is that failure is good for us as long as we don't let it define us. And we talked about that last week. But failure is one of those things for us that if we allow it, it will cripple us. And, and we've probably all struggled with that at times, but we look back on relationships and friendships and, you know, just, just all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, business opportunities and attempts, uh, you know, financially, family-wise, you know, first five years of our marriage, we, we couldn't have kids. We assumed we wouldn't have any kids. You know, we actually started an adoption. We did that twice. And each time we got pregnant, we got all the way past the part where you give them the first initial $1,000 twice, gone forever, right? After the resurrection, Peter was one of the first ones to see him. And we're picking up today where the disciples have returned to Galilee. And if I'm thinking, if I'm Peter, I'm feeling like a failure, and what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to what I know. What's he know? He knows what a bunch of these guys know. He knows how to work. He goes back to work. And that's where we're picking up in John 21. And it says this in John 21, 1 today. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Can Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. So here's this moment, you know, this moment where Peter decides he's going to lead this little expedition of the boys to go fishing. Maybe, maybe he didn't know that they were all going to want to go, but, you know, they all said they're going to go. At this point, there's seven of them, okay? So seven of Jesus' disciples at this point, I'm imagining a little bit, maybe with a little bit of a, you know, tail tucked between their legs kind of a feeling, decide, you know what, what else are we going to do? Let's go fishing, right? Some of you like to probably say that to your wife sometimes, right? You know, I got nothing better to do. I'm going to go fishing. You probably don't say it out loud like that because you know she'd be like, actually, I've got some things for you to do, right? But they go fishing, and the others follow, and Peter's leading this out, and they're going at night, and we know that because of kind of how the, the scriptures pan out here. We, we see them talk about, you know, what's, what's going to happen and all this kind of thing here in just a minute, but you know, they go at night, and a big part of, you know, fishing at night back then, that was, that was prime time to go fishing because you would come back with your catch fresh in the morning to sell at market. 
And so the boys basically have just gotten back to their hustle. They've gotten back to the thing that they know how to do and what to do and all those things. And this is what we do. We fall back to what we feel comfortable in, don't we? We fall back to the things that are easiest for us just to slip back into. You know, sometimes, sometimes those things are good. Sometimes those things are not good, right? But we do sort of a similar thing. Interestingly enough, here's these guys who are experts at fishing. This is what they've done their lives until Jesus came along. And then even Jesus said to them, you know, uh, you have been fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? And so here in this moment, here they all go out for their night fishing expedition, you know, the deadliest catch, if you will. And then what had happened? It says they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Expert fishermen who caught nothing. I love that. I think that sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not as great as we think we are. Right? Sometimes it doesn't work out our way. Sometimes it feels like you're beating your head against a wall. I wrecked my car recently. I have spent, I can't tell you how many hours just this week alone, trying to talk to people who supposedly have cars for sale. It is the craziest thing I have ever seen in my life. If, if I've got something for sale and you message me and say, hey, I'm interested in buying that, I'm like, when you want to meet? Let's go. I want your money. I want to get rid of the junk, right? Not these people. I'm telling you. These, I mean, it's, it has been just flat amazing to me. So, I mean, like, I've gone literal days waiting to talk with individuals who apparently have these vehicles for sale that I want to talk to them about buying it. I mean, to the point that, you know, I was on the phone with one guy this week. I was like, look, I just want to get this done. Like, I just, I want to be done with this. Can we just, can we make this happen? You know, well, I don't know, maybe. What? You got to be kidding me. Oh, man, I have been fired up this week about that, I can tell you. Sometimes we need to be reminded that no matter how hard we work, now, no matter how good we are at something, that at the end of the day, we're not the ones in charge. I want to jump to verse 4 here. And in verse 4 it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore just... I'm sorry, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, cast the net, excuse me, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. In other words, he was, you know, like, yeah, you got it. They're fishing, just a bunch of guys fishing, right? And threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging 
the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. Verse 4 gives us the inkling, not, we already knew that they had gone out at night, but in verse 4 we recognize that, you know, morning has come. You know, it says, you know, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, right? And so, you know, here we have Jesus at the shore. They don't know it's him. He yells at them, hey, did you guys catch anything? You know, it's the, it's the, that, that's, the, that's the fisherman talk. Like if you ever go to a dock and there's a bunch of fishermen around, you know, that's, that's, that's the thing that they're asking. Did you catch anything? No? Okay, yeah, well, that's because you don't know what you're doing, all right? So, uh, you know, I mean, that's what they're thinking. I may not say it out loud. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, well, good, good luck, you know. Oh you're, oh, you're fishing with that? Oh, great, good luck with that, you know. Um, you know, so Jesus is like, you know, did you catch anything? No, we didn't catch anything. We haven't caught anything. And then he responds, you know, and it's like deja vu to, to the book of Luke, right? We've, 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 haven't we heard this story before? Hasn't this happened before, right? And Jesus tells them, cast your net to the other side of the boat. Now, again, I mentioned earlier that there was a whole lot of strategy and what's ha- going to happen through what we're studying today. And I mean, it, it's, it's all over the place. This is one of those pieces of the puzzle where we see something happening that has already happened before. You know, something that is this reminder that God is behind the scenes doing something, something that we need at times in life. Furthermore, he goes on, you know, they go on, they cast their nets to the other side. What happens? They've caught so many fish, they can't even pull the nets in. At this point, you know, at this point, we are told that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, he's writing in the third person here, right? He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. He doesn't even want to wait for the boat. He is gone. He is taken off trying to get to Jesus, right? The other disciples come in the boat and they get to shore. And the rest followed nets full of fish, all of this. And then we pick up in verse 9. And in verse 9 it says, When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although... There were so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and dared, I'm sorry, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus on shore, waiting for the disciples to come in. They get there. He's already got a fire going, right? A charcoal fire. Time for breakfast. What are we having today, Jesus? Fish and bread. 
fish and bread. Now, fish and bread were pretty common to eat. But I just got to believe that with all the other things that we're seeing here, there's a whole lot of intentionality on Jesus' part as to the way that this is playing out. When Jesus first sees the disciples, what are they doing? A bunch, a bunch of the disciples. They're fishing. They're not catching anything. What's he tell them to do? Throw your nets out on the other side of the boat. Then you'll catch something. They kind of mumble, go ahead and do it, end up catching a bunch, can't get the nets in. Same song and dance. Here, we've got a charcoal fire. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So what we know here in a minute that we'll talk about is um, at least, you know, has to bring back the memory for at least one of these guys. And then on top of that, Jesus asks them to bring some of the fish, and then he feeds them fish and bread. I think it's interesting the way that this all goes down, because if you read it, Jesus came, verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And so now they're also reliving Jesus serving them food, right? Peter goes back to the boat to get some fish. They go ahead and apparently do the count right then, which, of course, as fishermen, everybody, you know, we've got to get our counts. We, you know, we're laying them all out at the dock and hanging them up on the things, and we've got to get our pictures made with all of it, right? And they're posting it on social media and, you know, everybody's like, man, that's a great bunch of fish. You know, it's been, you know, what, like at least three years since you guys had that many fish. You know, you guys are supposed to be experts. What have y'all been doing? Uh, we've been fishers of men for the last three years. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to us. You know, and then here comes this moment where Jesus is having them come to shore to be with him for them to eat together, and he feeds them, and he gives them bread and fish, serving them. And now we're reminded that this is the third time that he has appeared to them since the resurrection. So they've seen him a couple times, but he's not staying with them, right? If you go, I think this is interesting, by the way, and we're not going to get to it, and I hate it because I just, I just knew we couldn't time-wise, so here I am doing it anyway, right? Um, but at the very end of the book of John, which we're really close to, there's one section that we're not going to get to read today, and it's this section where uh, Peter and Jesus and John are all together and are kind of doing a little walkie walk thing. And uh, at the very end of it, John, of course, who is you know, writing this, uh, actually makes this statement about the stories that could be told about Jesus that haven't been written down. And he makes this statement somewhere along the lines of, you know, there, are, there is so much more that books couldn't hold them. And I'm just reminded, you know, we know bits and pieces of what the Lord has wanted us to know. But for those that were there in that time, and I, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, we, there's no way to know exactly how many times Jesus appeared to people that we don't even know about. But we know all of these other times, not just to the disciples, but to others where Jesus would be there and teach and all this and appear to, you know, literally, he's literally, before it's over with, has appeared to hundreds of people. 
And here the third time he's appeared to the disciples, and at first they still don't even realize who it is. And I'm thinking, these guys have seen this guy stand on shore before while they're out fishing, not catching anything, and then this same guy call out to them and tell them to throw their nets to the other side, and it wasn't until the nets were full that they figured out it was Jesus. And I just think, knuckleheads, and I think, that's me. How many times Jesus shows up in my life and he does something that he's even done before. And it, ta- it takes me getting to like some point in that happening before I finally realize, oh, oh, it's the Lord is doing something here. And I'm just that hard-headed to just now figure it out. Then we have verse 15. Then we have verse 15. And I remind you that Jesus, before we read this, I remind you that Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him three times. And then we have, and then he would deny him three times. And then we have verse 15. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. All right. Breakfast is over. It's time for a little one-on-one chat. Jesus kind of gets Peter off to the side here. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord. He says, feed my lambs. And Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says at this point, Peter is grieved. I really believe that in this moment, this is kind of a breaking moment for Peter. I think think this is referring to his overall emotional state. I think this is probably referring to his reaction to Jesus in this moment, that he's, you know, he, he's, you know, he's, he's, it's almost like a mixture of frustration and then also, you know, this, the pain 
of, of recognizing where he is in his relationship with Jesus in that moment, at least on Peter's side, I'm sure he's probably thinking, man, I've let Jesus down. He knows I've denied him three times. And here he's asking me over and over if I love him or not. And to the point where he finally says to Jesus, you know, yeah, you know everything. You know that I love you. I mean, he's speaking to the person of, of who Christ is at this moment, that, that he is all-knowing, okay, in this moment. He's, he is admitting to him. He is testifying in that moment to Christ. You know everything. I love you, and you know my heart. He says, feed my sheep. And I, I mean, I'm personally just imagining that Peter's probably in tears. I don't know that. doesn't say that. But we know that he is grieved. I think he's just a mess. I think he's been a mess, if we had to guess. You know, just going through all this, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. You know? And that he's turned his back on his friend, but his, then his friend got killed, but then now his friend's back from the dead? And at this point, Peter has no doubt that he's the Lord. I mean, like, he's confessing it. He's like, and not only is he confessing it, he's saying, you know my heart. You know I love you because you know my heart because you know everything. He's testifying. He's like, he might as well be saying, I, you're, you're, you are the Lord. You know it all already. And you're asking me, me this over and over. And then Jesus responds this last time, feed my sheep. Then in verse 18, he begins to tell Peter how he's going to die. I was to read that real quick. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, we're going back to Jesus bringing up something from the past here, okay, in Peter's life says, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go, but when you were old, you will stretch yourself, uh, you, will, uh, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, a couple things here. I want you to pay close attention to the fact that Jesus is bringing up when Peter was a child, and if you're paying close attention to kind of how this whole thing is rolling out, like over and over, Jesus is bringing back things from the past. Even how he is talking to Peter, what is he saying? He's not saying, hey, Peter. Oh, he's saying, Simon, son of John. What? It's believed he probably hadn't called him that regularly, at least, in probably three years. And in that moment, again, Jesus is reminding him of where he came from, right? And at the same time, he's asking him, do you love me? And of course, Peter's like, yes, I love you. I truly love you. And he's like, okay, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he tells Peter, what the end of his life is going to look like. And we know from history, it's not in the Bible, 
but we know from history that Peter is believed to have been crucified, uh, possibly upside down. We don't know that. Uh, that's not a proven thing as far as we know, but possibly believed to have been crucified upside down. And the reason for that has always been said that Peter did not want to die in the same fashion in which Jesus did, that he was not worthy for that to happen to him. But either way, Peter died a martyr because he was telling people about Jesus. Jesus is here telling Peter, this is what's going to happen to you. But he goes into that by starting with, remember when you were young. Remember when you were young? Well, this is what's going to happen when you're old. But then at the end of all that, it says, and after saying this, he said to him two words, follow me. Follow me. Three times. Three times Peter would deny Jesus. Three times Jesus would ask Peter, in this moment, do you love me? This is what restoration looks like. This would lead Peter to a grieving, painful moment. But I mean, let's face it, sometimes it's the grieving, painful moments that help us to see what the truth really is about life. These types of moments in our lives are the moments in which we respond after recognizing something that God has done. Jesus shows up at their workplace. Out where they're fishing. Out where they feel comfortable. He shows up with this reminder that there's really bigger fish to fry. And when he starts talking about feeding his lambs and tending to the sheep and feeding the sheep and all that, he's not talking about farm work. He's talking about his people, the great shepherd speaking to Peter, the guy who denied him three times. And yet Jesus is still honed in on this guy to be the guy that he would use to do so many unbelievable things. You know, they, you know I bet Peter thought that that 153 fish, I bet, I bet they thought that day, well, that was amazing. You know, go back to the other day that Jesus had them do the same thing and they had all those fish. I bet, I bet they all thought that was amazing. They had no idea that the whole statement of you're a fisherman, but I'm going to make you fishers of men, how true that would become, that in just the very near future, shortly after this, and we'll be studying that in a couple weeks, would be them fishing for men, and it wouldn't be 153, it would be thousands, thousands I'm going to say it again. And it's a reminder to us, God is the one doing the work. Not us. It's not our programs. He does it. 
I'm thankful he's the one that does it. Now, I want to bring up another thing. When they come back to shore, there's a charcoal fire, right? Charcoal fire. This is one of the many things that I feel like is part of the story that it just, you know, we see that. It's like, yeah, okay, no big deal, whatever. Jesus having a fire, he's fixing fish, it's time to eat. We're good with that. But I want to take you back in John's account of the first time that Peter denied Jesus for just a moment. If we can just turn back the clock, get in the DeLorean, you know, go back in time for just a moment here, right? In John 18, verse 15, we have Peter denying Jesus for the first time, John's account, okay? It says this, it says, verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. First denial right there, okay? And if you remember John, well, you might, if you hadn't looked at it, uh, the other two denials are in another section a little further down in the scriptures there in the book of John. He says, he said, I am not. His first denial, verse 18 says, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. Two times in Scripture that the word charcoal is used. Peter's first denial, after he denies Jesus, he stands around with these people that he denied Jesus to and warms himself by this charcoal fire. The second time, Jesus waiting for them at shore. Peter, the first one there, after jumping out of the boat because he can't stop himself from trying to get to Jesus, right? And I'm sure the water was probably a little cool. It was daybreak at this point, okay? And now he is swimming in cold water, and he runs to Jesus to see Jesus. And then I'm sure then he gets there. And I'm imagining like some kind of like awkward moment, right? Where Peter's like, I'm so glad to see the guy that I denied three times, right? And he smells that fire. And you know what that type of fire smells like. And he smells that fire, and there's that reminder. And soon after, he would say to Peter, Simon, son of John, Name I haven't called you in a few years, but I'm reminding you of where you came from. Do you love me? Do you love me more than anyone else? Do you, he says, do you love me more than these? Who's these? He's saying, do you love me more than everybody else? Do you love me more than you love anyone else? 
do you love me like that? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You see, Jesus wasn't worried about where Simon Peter had failed him. Jesus wanted Peter's heart. Because when Jesus has our hearts, he knows everything else will follow. The question is today, does he have your heart? He should. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He rose again for you. He suffered for you. He made a way for you. He has a purpose for you. He created you. If you go all the way back to verse 1, in verse 1 of John 21, I just want to read that one verse real quick. It says this. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Two times in that verse, it says Jesus revealed himself. Two times. How does he reveal himself? Oh, he's, he's petitioning with the best of them. He's more creative than the rest of us all put together. And by the rest of us, I mean everybody on the planet Earth. He turns back the clock in the names in which he would call Peter, in the things that he would be about to do, that were like things from the past that he had already done. He's appealing to their senses, to Peter's senses anyway, at the shore, in the boat, casting nets, fish galore, out of the boat, in the water. Reminds you of any other time Peter might have gotten out of a boat into the water, right? Bread, fish, serving them food. Seeing Jesus again while smelling the charcoal, because remember, Peter and Jesus locked eyes. Well, that was about that time. Simon, son of John. And I think about us, and I think, you know, how hung up we get on our failures and how we let it keep us from doing anything. In fact, we let our failure predict our future, or at least we start to believe that our failure will predict our future. But I mean, look at Peter. Zach Eswan, writing for Desiring God, wrote this. He said, failure pokes the tender ribs of memory. And he's speaking about Peter. He says, failure pokes the tender ribs of memory. Makes us wince. Too many storm-sinking You'll never wash my feet. Miscalculations in our faith. Too many, too many, though everyone else forsakes you, I never will, debacles of our pride. Too many, you will never go to the cross. Get behind me, Satan, moments to count. Too many, Gethsemane, sword, blood-cut misapplications of zeal. Too many, I tell you, I don't know the man, betrayals and fears. And sometimes the fault isn't ours, but the bruise still swells. You hung up on your failures? 
You think that because you're past, you can't move forward and serve the Lord? Look at Peter. Jesus is about to take this guy and start his church. And I'm reminded again, and I shared it last week, and I'm going to share it again, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my we- of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what Peter's betrayal got him? (laughs) It led him to his calling. God used his mess to restore him to do exactly what he intended him to do from the day that he was born. And we see that as the beginning of the early church and we will be studying about that in the weeks to come but I just think to myself what in the world if God can use Peter he can use any one of us to do whatever he wants to having our hearts isn't just like some little fun statement having our hearts means that we have surrendered ourselves to Christ that we're allowing him to be the Lord of our life and lead us wherever in whatever we may do and go. Having our hearts means that we love him the most. The most. Failure isn't final. And failure doesn't predict the future. God does. Let's pray. God, we come to you and just, I just pray that you would just help us in our hearts to follow you. God, help us to turn over the things that are captivating our hearts that are not you. And may we make our worship about you in all the things not just on Sundays or Sunday mornings or when we're singing our favorite song or reading our favorite verse. God, I pray, Lord, that in all the things, God, that you would be our Lord, that you would have our hearts. God, I pray right now for anyone who has never surrendered their heart to you. God, I pray that today you would speak to them and that you would help them to see their need for you. And God, I pray that today you would save them. God, do the work in their heart and in their life today that you have done in mine and in the lives of so many others, not because we deserve it, but because you love us and you offer us your grace. God, right now I pray for anyone that has never trusted in you. God, may they cry out to you right now and say, Lord, save me today. Be the Lord of my life today. I believe that your grace is sufficient for me today and the rest of my life. God, do that work in their hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that they would speak with somebody about that before they leave here today. God, for those of us that are believers, Lord, help us. 
Help us to be reminded today, Lord, that our failures are just opportunities for you to work, for you to move, for you to restore. And God, I pray that you would do that in us today and use us for your glory. We ask this today in your son's name. Amen.